0: Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. Good morning, Connect Church. Let's thank our team for leading us out today. Some of them get here as early as 6 in the morning, uh, just to make sure everything goes off well on a Sunday morning. So grateful for them. Hey, I want to check in on you. How you doing? Everybody okay? Okay. Everybody survived the water scare of 2022 this past week in Sevier County. Hey, a Thursday morning, um, woke up, it took an extra long hot shower, brushed my teeth there at the sink, and, uh, and probably brushed my teeth longer than I ever had, and then I did the the faucet drink. You know, after you brush your teeth, sometimes you just want to kind of get a drink of water. So I remember putting my head underneath the faucet and getting a big old drink of water, and immediately following that, I get this. I thought that water tasted a little bit chunky, any weird, at least. And, and so, me and my, my one of my my oldest daughter, we've been struggling with some. GI issues since Friday, I mean, the past couple of days have been rough, may have been related, maybe not, but you know, we always say this about the gospel, like, good news is only good news if it gets there in time, right? There's some practical applications of that as well, so hopefully everybody's doing okay and, and has survived, well, the great water scare of 2022 here in Old Severe County. Now, we're back in Nehemiah today over the next few weeks we are going to be talking about a singular word that really defines the next few chapters in the book of Nehemiah. And that word is movement. We're going to see take place movement, not only in the rebuilding of the walls and gates of Jerusalem, but a movement of God among the people. And I'm going to tell you something. What we see God do among the people in Nehemiah chapter 5 and on is something that I pray that God would do over again in the life of our church. I pray this constantly. Every, every week we V-line towards Sunday. I pray for a movement of God much like we see here among the people of God in the book of Nehemiah. Now, leading up to Nehemiah chapter five, where we're camping out today, so I encourage you to take your Bibles, turn them there, open your app, and go there. But in Nehemiah chapter five, we're gonna find something. That Nehemiah has a whole lot on his plate. His plate is absolutely full. First of all, there's this God-sized vision that God has planted in the heart of Nehemiah that turns this former cupbearer to the king into this first time general contractor where he's tasked to rebuild the walls of his family's hometown. And if that was not enough, he has enemies that rise up and constantly criticize him. There's threats of violence and literally outside the city walls, there are people who are going after his very life, who desire to kill him and all of the people of God. There has been challenge after challenge, not to mention some construction delays along the way. Yet amidst this incredible vision, amidst all these challenges, Nehemiah never loses sight of what mattered the most. And what mattered the most were the people. You see, let, let me remind you of something, church. That people are who or what, matter most to God. Not just some people. Not just people who look like you and act like you and and believe exactly like you. Listen, not just some people, but all people matter most to God. Hey, don't believe me? Who was it that God sent his son Jesus to be tortured, to be destroyed on the cross for To go into the grave for. It wasn't some religion. It wasn't prestige or power because God already had all of that. It wasn't wealth because the Bible teaches us that God owns it all. Why did Jesus come and die on the cross? For people. The Bible teaches us this in 1 Timothy chapter 1.15, that here is a trustworthy saying, Paul writes to Timothy, that deserves full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. You ready? To save people. People matter most to God. All God's size vision, at the very heart of it, lie people. In chapter 5, where we camp out today, we see how Nehemiah, this great visionary, both loves and leads people well in and through what is a a difficult time. So today, we're going to learn from Nehemiah what it is to love and to lead people, really what matters most to God in any God-sized vision, what it is to lead people well. I love how Charles Swindoll uh, talked about this moment in Nehemiah chapter 5. He says this, at the beginning, we find this, that the people, the workers, the families, they go on strike. There's this stopping of the work of rebuilding the walls. In fact, for the first 13 verses of Nehemiah chapter 5, there is no rebuilding of the wall. Work has stopped. Something has happened. And Nehemiah turns his attention to the people. And so as we begin in Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 1, here's something we learn. To be a visionary who loves and leads people well, we must, you ready? And as simple as this, we, we must care for people. Church, I'm going to tell you, even and especially in America today, churches by and large don't love people well. They, they don't care for people well outside of their walls and that has to it must begin to change and we learn from nehemiah that if we are to love and lead people well to be a visionary we must care for people watch what happens here nehemiah chapter 5 verse 1 now the men and their wives by the way the inclusion of wives here especially in that day and time meant this this was a big issue Wives are not oftentimes, women are not oftentimes allowed to kind of have this protest or to to speak up. And yet men and their wives are coming to the table and they raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. Now I want to start here. The people of God are hurting. The people of God are being crushed. And really what it is is they're being taken advantage of. And yet, instead of ignoring their suffering, instead of just pushing them aside and continuing on with the rebuilding of the wall, Nehemiah stops and he sees them and he hears them and he begins to care for them. So what's happening? Why the strike? And here's what we find verses later. Some were saying, we and our sons and our daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our homes to get grain during the famine. Hey guys, you ready? There is a famine going on, meaning this. There is a heavy demand and the supply is very low. You see, the city of Jerusalem had not plowed its fields enough to bring in the onslaught of hundreds of people coming back to rebuild the walls. And so the demand is high and the supply is low. Thus, inflation is birth. Inflation is birth, and it comes at a high price to the people of God. And you know what? We're tasting a little bit of that now, aren't we, in our culture and our communities? And everything is just sky high. And it begins to push and it begins to press on families. And now in the midst of a famine, food is scarce and people are panicking. Now there's still some more. Still others were saying, we've had to borrow money. Watch this. Borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. On top of inflation, there's taxation. Taxes are hitting the people hard as well. In fact, Alexander the Great, when he conquered uh, Susa, now if you remember Susa from early on, that is where Nehemiah served in the court of King Artaxerxes. When Alexander the Great decided to conquer the world and he took over Susa, guess what he found in the king's treasury? Over 270 tons of gold, over 1,200 tons of silver. You know what the king was doing? He was hoarding all the coinage throughout his kingdom. He was stripping the people of the coins. In turn, he created, yet again, inflation. He had to do it through taxation. And watch this. The economy for so many was absolutely ruined. Now watch this. It was hard times for everybody who didn't live in the palace. It was hard times for common, ordinary people and those who weren't entrusted in power. And we're seeing now that they are are crying out. We also find this, that not only was it taxation of the king, that although we are of the same flesh, the people cried out in blood as our fellow Jews, and though our children are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and our daughters to slavery. So, so not only was it a famine and inflation and, and now the taxation of the king, but now we are finding wealthy Jewish men who have nothing to do with the wall. We're going to see that later on why that is. But now they are charging interest and enslaving their own people. Interest in the ancient world? Man, we think 9% inflation and these interest rates are high could be upwards of 50% on the average person. And so when they couldn't pay their debt, and as they're mortgaging their fields and their lands just to, to buy grain and food for the table, when they couldn't pay their debt, you know what oftentimes they would do? They would give their children into service, into labor. So that through their labor, they could pay off the debt their families owe. But here's the problem. With such an incredible interest rate, they would never pay it off. They would be enslaved for their lives. And I'm going to tell you, the people are hurting. And here's the problem with the Jewish leaders. And where Nehemiah is going to take his problem. They act as if they own both the property and the people, but the teaching of, words, of, of the Word of God is this, that the Lord, the Lord owns the land, and the people, they belong to the Lord. And listen, God will not let people take advantage of his people for long. We're going to see that rise up here. I say all that to say that the people and the families rebuilding the walls and gates of Jerusalem, with Nehemiah, they are They are hurting. And we watch as he begins to to love and to lead them by, you ready? Not just caring about them, but he is caring for them. Caring enough to hear them and to see them. You ready? Caring enough to to be with them. In 2006, at the National Prayer Meeting in Washington, D.C., Bono from YouTube, a guy I don't quote much from the pulpit, said this in a speech. And I thought it was really good and really fitting. He said, God is in the slums, in the cardboard boxes where the poor play house. God is in the silence of a mother who has infected her child with a virus that will end both of their lives. God is in the cries heard under the rubble of war. God is in the debris of wasted opportunity and lives. And he says, This God is with us if we are with them. And I got to thinking, That's exactly right God was with Nehemiah because Nehemiah was with the people he cared for them and he he loved them and he watched after them God was with him because he was with the people and hear me church if God cares for people then those of us saved by his grace those of us in faith in Jesus Christ ought to care for people not just some people all people You see, that is how we love and we lead well, as a visionary, saved by Jesus. But not only do visionaries love and lead well by caring for people, but visionaries love and lead people well by having a righteous anger. How many times are you going to hear a preacher tell you ought to be angry? But you know what? There ought to be some things that make us angry. So we have here in the life of Nehemiah and the people in chapter 5, we have people facing inflation, taxation, and predation. People who are preying upon them. But watch this. Watch what the Bible says in verse 6. Nehemiah, when I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. You know what? I read that and I go, yes! Man, I'm glad to see some emotion here. Because you know what, church? There ought to be some things that make us mad. There ought to be some things that we have a righteous anger or a right anger for. And we learned this well from Nehemiah. Brian Bell said it this way about Nehemiah. I love it. Nehemiah was not a politician who asked what is popular or a diplomat who asked what is safe, but a true leader who asked what is right. What is right? And I'm going to tell you, church, we ought to be asking the question what is right? right because what's happening to the people of God in so many in our communities today we can stand and say hey listen this is not right and that's what Nehemiah does he can't simply just sit back and do nothing now let me know something about this anger because I think it's important this is not a sinful anger Not an out-of-control anger, but a righteous anger. The same type of anger we find in Moses in Exodus chapter 32, verse 19, when he comes off Mount Sinai with the two tablets bearing the Ten Commandments, and he notices that his people, while he's up there worshiping the one true God, have fashioned a golden calf and are worshiping it. And he slams down the tablets in righteous anger at what he sees. Much like the anger of Jesus in Mark chapter 11, when he flipped over the tables of the money changers in the temple and he declared, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, and you've made it a den of robbers. Hey, hey, church, can I free you up a little bit? It's okay to be angry at the right things, but hear me in your anger, do not sin. Do not sin. Watch this in Psalm 4:4. Be angry. And do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. We must remember that anger and even situations and occasions where anger is right and it is just. Anger is not a license to sin. Never has been and never will be. I got to thinking, what does that look like in our everyday? You know what that means? In your anger, delete the email that you just spent six hours working on. Where you're right, you've destroyed every bit of their argument, and you highlight it all and you delete it. In your anger, don't post on Twitter. Don't send that text message in anger. Don't hit the guy. Don't ram your car into their car. You, you know, take some time. Breathe. Pray, and then take action. You ready, church? We must not react in anger, rather respond with self-control. It's the difference between what I call road rage, anger, which is just absolutely out of control, and Mr. Rogers' anger, which seems to be in control, and responds rather than reacts. What would you do if you ever saw Mr. Rogers get mad on the show? It would ruin my childhood. Aristotle, more than 2,000 years ago, in his work, Art of Rhetoric, wrote this. And though it was a long time ago he wrote it, how true it is today. Watch this. Anybody can become angry, Aristotle says. That is easy. But to be angry with the right person and to the right degree at the right time and for the right purpose and in the right way, that is not within everybody's power. That's not easy. And so I want you to hear me, church. You ready? When it comes to a righteous anger, it is only in our power to do it right because Jesus is the Lord of our hearts and our lives and he's given us his word to show us what righteous anger is all about. So I want you to hear me. It isn't easy. It's nearly impossible. But for Jesus, who can help us to be, have a righteous anger towards things that are hurting and destroying people. Let me ask you this question. Some of y'all aren't angry people, and that makes me angry a little bit. (laughs) Like, you don't ever have those angry moments, and I don't understand you, and I wish I could be you, and since I'm not, I just get mad at that a little bit. And so um, let me ask those of you guys who've been angry before, and there might be a couple of us. When has your out-of-control anger ever fixed anything? (laughs) When has out-of-control anger ever helped anyone? In your anger, the scripture teaches us, do not sin. And so Nehemiah, we find love and leads the people well in this way. As these charges come about, as we sense that he is angry, watch what the Bible says, So I pondered them in my mind. He he pondered the anger. He he pondered the charges the people were making against the Jewish elite. And he says this, that he he pondered these in his mind. The word ponder means to give oneself advice, to give self-counsel in a moment. And we find that that's exactly what Nehemiah does. Great leaders respond in right action. They do not react in anger. They take some time. They take a deep breath Breath, and they pray, and then they respond at the right time. And so we see Nehemiah doing that. We're not sure how much time uh, transgressed here, but we know time did happen. He says, I pondered them in my mind and then accused the nobles and the officials. The time was right. He calls them out. For selling and enslaving their own people. He calls them out for violating the word of God. He doesn't play favorites. He doesn't bow to the rich and powerful. He calls them out. Church, hear me. When we see injustice, when we see a wrong, it is incumbent upon us to stand for what is right. We cannot remain quiet. We must not be silent, and we cannot be indifferent. You might say to yourself, Amy, that sounds good as a preaching point, but practically, there is so much injustice, so much oppression, so much wrong in the world, I can't fix it. I can't change the world. But you can change the world around you. When it comes to injustice, you may not be able to stop all injustice, but injustice can stop with you, and you can have a righteous anger for the very things that are hurting and destroying people, by the way, those of who matter most to God. You can have a righteous anger there. Uh, Mother Teresa, I'm showing my Catholic roots here, you ready? Mother Teresa had a pretty incredible quote, I'm going to read it twice because it's a, a little tricky, you ready? She said this, One of the greatest diseases is to be nobody to anybody. I'm going to read that again. One of the greatest diseases is to be nobody to anybody. Meaning this, that you make no difference, that you help no one, that you do nothing in the midst of of those who are hurting and lost. And I want you to hear me, believer. God has saved you and me and Christ to be a somebody to those who are hurting and lost. And what a tragedy is to bear the name of Jesus and to die having never been nothing but a nobody to anybody. A wasted life caring first and foremost about you and only you. And I'm afraid many, many believers live that sort of life. You see, a visionary who leads and loves well must care for people. And you know what? Must have a right anger, a righteous anger concerning those things that hurt and destroy people. I love Isaiah chapter 1 verse 17. Learn to do good seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, and plead the widow's cause. I got an invite here recently to Isaiah 117 house, their ribbon-cutting ceremony this afternoon. Now, if you're not familiar with them, they're one of our church partners. We, We have invested as a church tens of thousands of dollars into that home. It exists just really a few blocks away from where we are right now. It's a beautiful home, listen, full of food and a clothing and supplies. And it exists for the worst day of a child's life. The day that child is removed from their home. Mallory, who's part of Isaiah House, a big part of Isaiah House, attends church here. And I looked at her in the earlier service and said, Hey Mallory, is it safe to say that Isaiah House springs from the very things we see in Nehemiah today? this care for people, this righteous anger that the children of our community on the worst day of their lives sometimes are left to sleep on a cold office floor. And out of that righteous anger, we are called to action, and that's exactly what they did. And so today we cut the ribbon on a house that is opening up that exists to love and to care for kids on the worst day of their lives. You know what? Isaiah House may not change the world, but they're going to change a child's life one kid at a time. One child at a time. They're busy being a somebody to anybody who needs them. And maybe, believer, that ought to be where we're at today. Committed to being a somebody to anybody who needs us. You see, a visionary not only loves and leads well by by caring for people By having a righteous anger, but you ready? Here's what we find. We must know and we must do what is right. Uh, Let me say this. It's important that you and I know what is right. That we read the word of God. We trust the spirit of God. That we discern between what is right and wrong. What is godly and what is godless. But I want you to hear me. It is not enough just to know what is right. We must do what is right. It's not enough to know. You and I must do what is right. Listen to Nehemiah after all of this. So he continued. As he accuses the Jewish elites, these leaders, of their taking advantage of and abuse of the people, he says, so I continue. What you're doing, it is not right. Shouldn't you walk out of fear of of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies, he says to them? Now, Nehemiah stands... And he appeals both to the fear of God and the word of God, which, by the way, is our standard for what is right and what is wrong. It is the truth. And he appeals to it. Why? Because several places in the Old Testament, these predatory lending practices are forbidden by God. Now listen, if you're a banker today and you're like, oh no. Uh, we charge interest for loans. Am I going to hell, right? That, that, that's not what we're talking. We're talking to covenant people and a covenant promise. Now, if you're working in some shady places around our county that charge hundreds of percent of interest against people who come desperate to you, then you ought to quit your job and repent. Yeah. But we're speaking of a specific people and a specific promise found in places like Exodus twenty-two, twenty-five, 25, where it says this, If you lend money to any of my people, the Lord says, with you who is poor you shall not be like moneylenders to them and you shall not exact interest from them what is happening to the people of god is forbidden in the word of god and nehemiah calls those leaders to the carpet and say hey listen fear your god and he begins to fight those who are taking advantage of the people i mentioned earlier up until now 13 verses of which the wall and the progress has stopped. Why? Because you ready? No vision can go forward while people are, people are being taken advantage of. And they're being hurt. And so Nehemiah stands for those who cannot stand for themselves. But he also does something. Not only does he know what is right, but he does what is right. In verse 11, you know what he calls on them to do? He calls on those Jewish leaders who are taking advantage of the people. Hey, give it back to them. And they do. You know what he calls in verse 12? You swear an oath that you will not disobey God's word and you will not destroy these people again. And guess what they do in verse 12? They take an oath not to do it. You know what? He didn't change the world. But he changed his world behind those gates for the hundreds of people of God who are working on the wall. And he goes on in verse 14, because here's what we find. To love and to lead people well as visionaries on mission in Christ. Listen, we got to know what is right, but do what is right. And we have to fight the temptation. We have to fight the temptation not to become the ones that we stand against. Not to become like those we call out. In their sins. So Nehemiah would say this. Moreover, from the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when I was appointed, watch this, to be their governor. So we have cupbearer to the king. Now he is his first generation uh, general contractor, and now he is governor of Judah. He says this until the 32nd year, 12 years. Neither I, now watch this little tagline. Like, he's pronouncing, he is proclaiming a promotion, and yet there's this weird little tagline. Neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor. Neither I nor my brothers touched the food that was allotted to the governor. You go, man, what is that? Here on this promotion announcement, he's governor. And then he begins to uncover another injustice. While the people were going hungry, the governors were stuffing their face with lavish food and wine that were seized from the people. And while the people went without the leaders had plenty. People couldn't buy grain. The leaders themselves had all the grain they needed. And they were stealing food. And you know what Nehemiah says? Not only did we not eat from their table, but out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. Be righteously anger over, angry over sin and those things that are hurting and destroying people, but by all means, don't you act like that. Nehemiah says, I didn't act like that. Instead, I devoted myself, watch this, to the work on this wall, and all my men were assembled there for the work. We did not acquire any of the land. He said, I didn't use the people to get rich. In fact, we cared for people. We had a righteous anger. We knew and we did what was right, and then I began to roll up my sleeves, and we got to work. Listen to me, church, a visionary who loves and leads well, knows what is right and does what is right, and they roll up their sleeves to get to work with a vision God has given them and the mission that God has called them to. And I love Nehemiah's prayer in verse 19. You ready? I pray this sometimes. He says, remember me with favor, speaking to the Lord. My God, for all I have done for this wall, for all I have done for brick and mortar, for all I had done gaining this position of power as a government. No, but look at his prayer. For all I've done for what matters most to God and who matters most to God, and that is people. Hey, what you do in this life and what matters most is not the wealth you amass. It's not the building projects you undertake. It's not the prominence and position you rise to. What matters most is what you have done for people, for people. Let me ask you, what are you doing for people? Whose life is better because you love Jesus and you're a part of their story? Let me ask you, who's walking with Jesus today because you walked with them? Who's going to heaven today? Because you pointed some people to the one who can get them there. What have you done for people? Not, not just people who look like you and act like you and talk like you and dress like you and believe like you, but maybe people who look nothing like you, act nothing like you. What have you done for people? Where are where you righteously? angry in your life? Or have we kind of been sullied into this indifference where man, I can't do anything. The world's going to hell and uh, there's nothing I can do. Where is the righteous anger about the sin that's destroying and hurting people? It's killing our families and our communities. Or have we bought into the lie of indifference? You will never be a Visionary. That loves and leads people well if you don't care for people. If not, at some point in your life, there's a righteous anger to what's hurting and destroying people. You'll never do it well if you not only know what's right, but if you fail to do what is right. In 1866, a doctor by the name of John Langdon Down. He was a British physician, and he uh, was known for the first to classify the condition that now bears his name, Down syndrome. He began his career as a chief physician at Earlwood, an institution for people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Prior to his time in Earlwood, John Down who was imperfect at best, had no experience caring for people with these types of disabilities. But something in them interested him. Dr. John Down, he saw their value and he saw their humanity in a time where others didn't. He genuinely enjoyed being around them and became infuriated, a righteous anger, by the way they were treated. Most people with Down syndrome in 1866 were institutionalized, put in an asylum. Physical abuse was common for those with Down syndrome. They they had poor hygiene. Their mortality rate was high. And there was nothing enjoyable in this life for them to do. And Pastor John Down insisted on change. He fired the staff and hired all new ones. He demanded proper care and hygiene. He prohibited corporal punishment and offered crafts and hobbies to his patients. He took beautiful portraits of them to celebrate their beauty and their value. Some 200 of those portraits still exist today. And look what he do. He dressed them up in the finest of clothes. Positioned them in the most regal positions. And he took their photos to show the world how precious they were as he cataloged Down syndrome so the nation's doctors could learn from him. Not only did he take portraits, but in 1968, two years after he began his work, he bought a large mansion Goes by the name Normansville, which is still located in the UK and open to this day. He bought that mansion not as an institution, but as a home for precious little girls like this one. A home where they could be loved and cared for. Every, every child that was a resident in his home, they had private education. They were taught how to ride horses and how to garden and how to, how to do crafts. He even built a theater on side of his mansion so that those living at home with him could enjoy the arts and see culture. And by doing so, he forever changed how the world saw individuals with Down syndrome they don't need institutionalized. They need to be cared for. That there ought to be a righteous anger in 1866 when they were abused and mistreated and just sent away. And he not only knew what was right as a deeply religious and God-fearing man, he did what was right and thus he changed the world around him And this many years later, the very syndrome that bears his name has been changed forever. Because he loved and he led well. Not perfectly, but he loved and he led well. Before we close, I want you just to do a a self-evaluation. How are you doing at loving people? And not just saying it, not just token. How, how really are you doing at loving people? Not, not just some of them, but all people. How are you doing at, at going to those who are hurting and, and broken and who are lost? With not only the, 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 the news, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but with the love of Jesus for them. I mean, is there a lot of righteous anger in your life or is it just a lot of uncontrolled anger? Are you caring for people? No matter what your vision is, no matter the mission God has called to you, if you lose sight of people and loving and caring for them, you have lost sight of God. And conquer the world. In eternity, your gains will count for nothing if people were just a means to an end. At Connect Church, we say this oftentimes in our staff people are not a means to an end, they are the end. The end to which Jesus died, the end to which Jesus rose again, people are the end. You know, I love how Nehemiah rolled up his sleeves and he got to work. I love how Dr. John Down rolled up his sleeves and got to work because it reminds me of the time that Jesus rolled up his sleeves and he got to work for us talking about caring for people that the Bible teaches us in Romans 5, 8, that God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That means in the ugliness of our sin, in the greatest parts of our rebellion, in the deepest parts of the darkness of our life, he loved us even there. He rolled up his sleeves. He died upon the cross for our sin and shame, taking upon him our sin and thus the wrath of God so that we might be saved. That's how much He cared. That's the righteous anger He has against the sin in our lives that separate us from God the Father. And He did what was right. And He died for you and for me. Let me remind you of 1 Timothy that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. To save people like you.